Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So we've um, <clears throat> we've looked so far at uh, stuff, letting go of stuff, busyness, trying to find some balance through that letting go, <clears throat> and uh, now wanted to move to the next area of attachment that uh, the Buddha spoke of as one that creates a lot of suffering, and that is letting go of our thoughts and ideas and beliefs. In the, the second noble truth, he talks about different areas of attachment. The wanting mind gets caught. There's attachment to sense experiences and things on the physical plane. There's attachment to our ideas and thoughts about who we think we are, or about life, or about our ideas and right or wrong. <clears throat> then there's attachment to spiritual forms, what is sometimes called attachment to rites and rituals, uh, but really is uh, as one uh, contemporary uh, Tibetan teacher calls it spiritual materialism. You know, my religion, my meditation, my whatever. And then there's the, the fourth attachment in the, the list of the four great attachments in the Second Noble Truth is, is actually the um, taking... I misspoke a few moments ago. It's attachment to who we think we are, this idea of self. Um, so we'll, we'll just look for a little while at this uh, attachment to um, thoughts and ideas because it creates a lot of problems. I mean, yeah, you, you know that feeling, if they could only see the truth the way I see it, you know, I'm in touch with the truth and they just don't get it, you know. And everybody is walking around in that same bubble most of the time, 
unless they somehow pierce the, the bubble and see, oh, everybody's got their own reality, that makes complete sense to them, but is often distorted by our conditioning, by our, our, our training, our uh, coagulation of distortions of, of ourselves and the way things are. And that kind of um, process creates a, a lot of problems. If, you're, if you've done any meditation, you are probably familiar with, uh, with the experience of the mind spinning out from one little thought going into many other thoughts, a whole galaxy of thoughts mushrooming out. And the, the, the word for this in the teachings um, is called papancha. It's a great word. It's kind of like a, it's got a real punch to it, you know. Papancha, proliferation of thought. You know, you might hear a, a, a bird outside and think, oh, I love birds. Oh, that reminds me when I was a kid, I, my parakeet was named Chippy. Oh, and which it was, by the way. I'm just now kind of going through a stream of thought right now. Oh, we used to call him the mad bomber. Bomber, and you just kind of fly around. Wow. And you are off to the races, right? Just one little stimulus, you know, or you hear a couple of notes and you're, you're back in junior high prom, either with a fantastic scene or feeling like, oh gosh, that didn't work out or whatever, and you can have a whole scenario built up on, on sometimes on metta uh, uh, practices uh, and on retreats, so if you're doing a metta retreat and somebody is leading a metta meditation, you know, and you're supposed to be saying, may I feel safe and harm, may I have ease of well-being, you know, and you can't feel a thing, right? And you say, I am not capable of loving kindness. Oh, I know because I was never loved when I was a child. And that's why and because, and you have this whole story built up about how you are and who you are. Papancha, it's a great word to know about. If you can keep your sense of humor around it, you're doing okay. It's just when you believe those thoughts, they can be extremely painful and limiting. A lot of times the thoughts are about our past, what's happened to us. And I don't want to make light of this, many of this. We all have had certain traumas in our life, and some of us have had really major trauma. And it's not that you can just kind of dismiss it and say, oh, well, that's just a thought, let go, because the body can still be reverberating and, and, and it's, it can be locked in there for a while, for a long while, for a lifetime even. And there are, fortunately, modalities that can work through trauma and you have to be really um, respectful and honoring of that. But as we all know, some people who've gone through incredible traumas are such inspirations and embodiment of compassion. 
because they're not stuck in the story, this happened to me and therefore I can never, and you fill in the blank, um, but are, but have used the trauma to deepen their understanding and their compassion. Stories about our past, beliefs about life, oh, things won't work out. I, I should mention to you, um, you know, people think, oh, awakening joy, oh, you're just, you've always been the happy guy, you know. I was not a happy camper growing up, and I thought that things would not work out. I was a, I just knew they weren't going to work out. And the more I knew they weren't going to work out, the more right I was, because we create this self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you know, people won't like me. I had friends, I had close friends, but, you know, particularly girls won't like me, and, uh, and I'm, I was painfully shy, and just um, had a, 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 that contracted mind. And at some point in my life, I had a, a really, I was fortunate enough to go through a, a very powerful uh, experience and, and transformed that pessimism. I thought, I saw that I was creating this reality and um, I write about this in the book a bit and I saw, oh, I could, I could paint this any way I think, any way I like. And I went through this experiment. I said, okay, when I went when I was really shaken to the core, I faced my deepest fears, which is often a way to kind of shake your reality. And I said, okay, I've, I see that I've been making this story up, that things won't work out, and that people won't really find me interesting or, or likable for a long time. I see that. What if I try it another way? And I made this experiment with myself for one week I was going to act as if I were interesting, likable, and things would work out. Right? I just pretended. And sometimes it's okay to pretend, you know, kind of like you fake it till you make it. Because your brain doesn't know the difference if, you're, if you can really just kind of play around with imagining what that would be like. That was 41 years ago. And the one-week experiment has continued. Uh, not that I still had plenty of conditioning and do have conditioning to, you know, you press the right button, I could be back in the third grade in a moment, you know. <laughs> Paranoid, insecure, but it doesn't last for very long. That's, that's the amazing thing about, about practice, that the time lag is, is pretty short these days. But I saw that the energy that I was putting out was begetting energy coming back to me, you know. If you're around somebody who's anxious or insecure or, you know, and which, which we all are at times, you know, but who that, they, they come into a room and they're kind of like feeling really shy and, um, and a little bit tense. How does it make you feel. You might feel very compassionate for them, but you're probably not going to say, oh, I want to I hang out with this, this energy, right? 
And if you're around somebody who's somehow just comfortable in their own skin, who's not preoccupied with themselves, but are kind of interested in, in who you are, you know, it's like, oh, hey, what's your name? Who are you? So we create these self-fulfilling prophecies just by the beliefs that we have about ourselves or about others or about life, that things will work out or won't work out. Einstein says perhaps um, the most important question that a human being can ask him or herself is, is the universe friendly or not? And he suggests that it is. And you can make a good argument either way. But one way or another, your belief is going to create your reality. If you think the universe is unfriendly and life is dangerous, that will definitely affect how you go through life. If you sense the goodness around you in life, the goodness inside of you, and that life is here to support you, that will have a whole different relationship the, the way you move through the world. So to notice your beliefs about the past, about life, your beliefs about practice, coming here to Spirit Rock, you know, oh, enlightenment. There, there's, by the way, there's a really good issue of Inquiring Mind that just came out that's probably on the back table that I, I recommend on enlightenment, the big E, right? All your ideas about enlightenment, oh, I have to sit a three-month retreat, maybe, or ten three-month retreats, then maybe, you know, in ten lifetimes I'll get a glimpse, you know, or, oh, other beliefs, oh, it's already here, right now, nothing to do, just let go of everything, and life is here, you know. So, people come in to uh, retreats with all kinds of ideas of what practice is going to be like. If I am a really good yogi, I'll have no hindrances, a hindrance-free yogi, you know. Yeah, forget it, right? Or I, on one retreat, I, I was sitting and I was with my, just staying with my breath, and everybody around me seemed to be going through these major catharses, right? <laughs> Tissues, just one tissue after another, you know. And I went running to Joseph saying, you know, I think I might be missing something here because I'm just here with my breath and, you know, I don't think I'm getting the juice of, of practicing. He said, don't go looking for trouble. It'll find you soon enough, which it did, you know. And I could see that it was just as important and just it's fine when you're with your breath, when you're clear, wonderful, when you're going through major uh, purifications, wonderful. Everybody gets the retreat that they need. It's not that, oh, that's not good practice and this is good practice. But we carry around these ideas and these beliefs that we either measure up to or don't measure up to. So um, I'd like us to, um, to take a look at some of our limiting beliefs, thoughts, ideas, and just imagine what it would be like if they didn't run us. If they, whether it's about yourself or about life or about practice or whatever or how you think things will turn out. 
So uh, we can just have something to explore. So I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. This is the letting go of our stories and our thoughts and our beliefs. What story do you believe that keeps you from fully experiencing well-being and joy? Now, you might know on a conscious level that it's not so, but I'm talking about a, a deeper internal belief that maybe you um, has a power. What's your story that sometimes you get hooked on, either about yourself or about others or about life, that keeps you from fully experiencing well-being and joy. And if you got in touch with something, what would it be like if you saw it as just a story and could let it go somehow magically or through practice, you realized in every cell of your body, oh, this is just a story. And could let it go, or let its power over you go. Just imagine what it would be like. You might have a, an image, a picture of yourself not being bound by this story. And if you have some image or imagine what it would be like, Get a sense of what it would, what you would need to understand or remember in order to let it go. What would you need to understand or realize or remember in order to be able to let it go? not have it run you. Just imagine the wisest part of you seeing the truth of things.
How many people got in touch with some belief or story? So, um, I'm just wondering, it, this is, it's a, a risk to do this, to explore with another person. Uh, and I'm kind of going back and forth whether I want to take that, that risk. Could use our journal. Yeah. Um, so if you, the other option would be to just write with, on your own. Um, hmm, who would like to, how many people would just like to write in their journal about it? Okay, so then, fine. Then if the others would be willing, if you, you don't have to, but if you want to, there's something really powerful about actually naming your story and just seeing it's just a story, and being witnessed and supported in that, uh, even if it's with somebody that you don't know, sometimes even better with somebody that you don't know, but if it's with somebody that you do know, it's like you're bursting, you're, you're naming the demon as, uh, um, as uh, Jnana points out, Jnana Tara, he says, a lot of the way that mindfulness works is when you name something, it's like the heroine or the hero of a story, you know, that doesn't know the name of the monster or the demon, and it has this tremendous power over them. And then as soon as you find the name, oh, you know, like Rumpelstiltskin or whatever it is, you find the name of that demon. This is in classical, in, in many different uh, kinds of mythology. As soon as you name it, it loses its power. And so there can be a value to just saying, this is what my mind does, you know. This is where my mind goes. It, it doesn't have to be a judgment about who you are, but just, oh, this is what my mind does, uh, you know. My mind still goes everywhere. The mind has no shame. The mind has a mind of its own, you know. The key is to not take it personally and say, instead of saying, oh, look at my mind, to, wow, look at the mind. Oh, look at how this mind works. So if you are uh, open to it uh, or feel, uh, feel like it, then uh, find a, a partner. And, uh, and if you prefer to write in a journal, that's absolutely fine. And we can spend, oh, the next uh, five or eight minutes or so um, sharing our stories, okay? And I'll tell you when it's about half, half time. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.